Northern New York Community Podcasts, stories from the heart of our community. Thank you for joining us on the Northern New York Community Podcast. I'm your host, Max Del Signor. We are very excited for our conversation with a couple recognized as one of the most active community philanthropists in the North Country. They grew up in Pennsylvania, and after spending a brief time in Cleveland, Ohio, Tom and Mabel Walker settled in Watertown more than 60 years ago. It didn't take long before they placed their energy and effort into a number of causes, community organizations, and civic groups, and they have been leaders and catalysts for positive change in an always evolving community. Their legacy in this area will undoubtedly be lasting, and giving is about much more than dollars and cents, and that statement will make even more sense as we listen to Tom and Mabel's story. Thanks again for both of you for coming on the podcast today. And we're very excited to also have uh, Randy Richardson, our executive director from the Northern New York Community Foundation, who will have a few questions as Tom and Mabel share their story. To dive right in, when you look back at 60 years ago and spending all the time that you have here in the North Country, why did you decide to make Watertown, New York and the North Country in this area, why did you make this your home? I guess because I poured soup over my interviewer at Case Institute. Tell us a little bit about that story. It was when I was, um, I was head of the, the faculty dining room, the, the head chief or head waiter. Uh, they called me and asked me if I would be, a, out of courtesy, interview Mr. Wilson Watkins, who was with the air break at that time, who was up, who, who came to Cleveland every year, and there was no one. Uh, uh, signed up to interview. And I said, sure, I'd be glad to do that. So hurrying to get up to the one o'clock appointment, I spilled soup all over this fellow's jacket, right down the front of him. I caught up on my little finger. And uh, boy, I was embarrassed, you know, mopping it all up, getting ready and running up there. And who was there but the fellow I spilled the soup on. After the interview, I told him that you know, I, I liked this program, and I would be interested to get an invitation to come to Watertown. Because that was a, a distance from Pennsylvania where our parents lived. We were close enough that we could get there if needed every so often, or even in an emergency. But we were wanted to start our own family sort of by ourselves. And that worked out well for Watertown. And uh, we liked what we saw up here. We like the people, we like the climate, believe it or not, and uh, we like the job that I ha had uh, hopes of obtaining, and, that, and I did. And that position was with New York Airbrake at the New time? New York Airbrake as an executive engineer. How did the communities differ? So you're, you're about to move to Watertown, New York, and to the North Country. How, how did this area differ from where you grew up? And Tom, you're from Pittsburgh, and maybe you're from Clarion, which is about, what, 90 minutes away from each other? How, how were those? An hour, yeah. About an hour? An hour, yes. Now, where I grew up was a small college town. Mm -hmm. So I was used to small towns. And when I went to nursing school, I w was down there for three years in Pittsburgh. Then we moved to Cleveland, where Tom was going to school. And while he was going to school, I worked at the Cleveland Clinic and then at, at the um, Fisher Body, which is part of General Motors. And the reason why I did that was because they paid twice as much as what Cleveland Clinic paid. At the time. <laughs> and being that he was going to school and not working, we needed the money. When we came to Watertown, it was a small town. I came from a small town. 
I lived in a city for six years. I did not like city living because you were, you were just there. That was it. You were just there. So this suited me fine, and I guess suited Tom fine too, because being a small community, you could get involved with anything and everything you wanted to be involved in. And we had just the one child then, but we became very involved with the church. And that's where I did most of whatever I did outside the home, was work, working with the children and the church and then, of course, as the children grew up, we were, got more involved with, I got more involved with community things. What was the, the motivation to dive right in to working with some of the activities with the church or even some of the civic groups of the time here? Uh, what, what were some of the, uh, the motivations, I guess, to, to get into those right away when you were here? Well, because we grew, I grew up and Tom grew up too in a family that was a close-knit family. We did everything together. We went to church together. All our, most of our activities were all together. You know, we, my family was a close-knit family. There were six children in, that, in my family. And so when we did anything, we did it as a family. That's the way it worked with us. We were never knew what a babysitter was. Because everywhere my family went, I tagged along, or vice versa. Do you remember outside of the church what those first few civic groups, community organizations that you said, you know, their, their mission or their purpose or cause really makes sense. I'd really like to help them in some way. Yeah, I think so. We're, I came from a big city. And, and I liked Watertown because it had the semblance of a city. It's, it's hard to go from the city and live in the country. Just couldn't seem to do that. But I liked the city because it had a lot of the amenities that a, that a big city has, but on a very micro uh, situation. Can you share a couple examples, Tom, that, that kind of fit that, that uh, example? I was working, of course, at the air break. And as my off time, we, did, we started with the church. We figured if we were going to get into both of us being outsiders, so to speak, no relatives up here at all. In fact, I had to look at the map to find out where it was when I, <laughs> when I finally decided to come up here, is that we had to, we had to find a base. And the, probably the best base we found was being in a church. If we found one, well, we found one. And we've been a member of our First Presbyterian Church for over, well over 50 years. 60 years. About 60 years, yeah. 60 so, years. <laughs> we've been married almost 68 years. So we've been here 65 years. Tell us about how you met. Oh, how we met? Yeah. <laughs> I was in nursing school and um, I had a roommate who went to, whose boyfriend went to W&J which is Washington and Jefferson College down in Little Washington. And this one night we had um, a dance at the hospital nursing home. I had to work. I had, I had the 3 to 11 shift that night. So my roommate, her boyfriend, needed somebody to come up with him from Little Washington. So Tom was that guy. And he had a blind date with one of my nursing friends. <laughs> And when I come off what, I, what we call the floor, when we came off the floor duty, um, 
I went down to see what was going on at the party, and I met him down there, and I looked at him, and I said, that's the guy for me. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your version of the story? <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and in that respect, just as we're on that topic, in today's world, you know, things are um, challenging in this respect, but what would you attribute the success of your long and happy marriage? Uh, I think uh, the fact that uh, we've learned to work together uh, over the years and f from what I've seen uh, and here and other places that people get married and then they find out that they either don't want to work together or they can't work together. And uh, I think we sort of believe that the, the old adage is if, if, you're, if you're going to be serious about getting married, uh, uh, maybe a year's pre-relationship is a good way to sort of test what you can live with and what you can't live with. And if you, after that period, then you make a deci decision either to go for it or to get away from it. And um, we did that a little earlier, but, but it, it worked out quite well for us. We've had four children and we have two left that are uh, excellent. We, we enjoy them. They give us some, some support. It's been a good life up in Watertown. Mabel? Well, everybody has their own personality. Everybody has differences. So you have to learn to live together, to cooperate together. Now, I tend to be bossy, as everybody knows. <laughs> but, I, you, have to, you have to learn to give and take. That's basically that in a nutshell. You learn to give and take. Everybody doesn't have the same personality. Everybody doesn't do the same things the same way all the time. It's just a matter of learning to live together. The fact that we, we both shared uh, sort of a, a complementary skills uh, or desires. One is that uh, if our kids got hurt, they'd run to mommy. You know, she put the Band-Aid on them. And then when they got old enough, they didn't want to play or go canoeing or hiking or something, then I would take over. So it, it was, it was a, a, good, a good balance. Marrying a nurse is a great thing. <laughs> At times. <laughs> One of the things you mentioned, and uh, you touched on it a little bit earlier too, just raising your family here in this area probably one of the stronger qualities of the North Country, just given its environment. What are, what are some of the other standout qualities of living in this area, being part of the North Country, that, that are visible or stand out in your mind? You're able to diversify yourself in many things, and you get to know a good share of the people that live here. So it just makes a better rounded person all around, both not only for yourself, your husband, and especially your children. Quality of life. Uh, when, the, the, when the army moved in here, of course, I consulted with the commander, and I, and I remember telling him that we, we'd like to have the army here. I have no problem with that. I said, but we want you to respect our quality of life up here. You know, we have our good times, bad areas, so forth, but uh, they're somewhat at, of a, at a minimum. He, he gave me a salute. They said, yes, sir. <laughs> so, when, Tom, when you say quality of life, what are the elements of that phrase? Well, I think um, uh, f uh, family groups, um, 
the development in the community, which some people claim that's a little bit on the slow side. But I said, once it gets done, it's done well. I'm not sure why we're hurrying to the end of the earth, that we, we like to live, we like to change, but have it come systematically. That's what we, we enjoyed up here, is the firmness of the quality. Now you had mentioned at one time that you kind of envision only being in this area for maybe 10 years. Yeah. But obviously you changed your mind. Well, after about 10 years, uh, my father had passed away and I had to, to do some work for his, uh, his estate. Uh, and uh, we were thinking then of maybe moving to a new position. And we got to looking at it and said, well, if you go to a new position, then you've got to start making arrange, uh, uh, relationships with people in your area, find out where the men's room is, so to speak. And um, uh, we like it here. We know where the men's room is now. <laughs> and uh, we ought to just, just continue that. So I think that's where we, we finally got to the idea that uh, we'd like to do something for the community. Plus the fact is with our children, they've made, they made friends. And to disrupt four children's lives and moving them and trying then to get them settled into something, we decided that that's not a good idea. The kids need, which they don't have today, stability. They need the stability which kids do not have today. And this is one of the reasons, too, that we decided to stay here because we wanted the stability for the children. Now, when we get together with our, with our kids, the two, uh, then they'll bring up instances where they had experiences as young people, what they did vis-a-vis uh, -vis the community and with the family. You know, I've forgotten a lot of that, but it, it always impresses me that what they did was, was um, certainly above board. They weren't trying to do somebody in or, or uh, do some hazardous things, but just fun things that kids like to do. Nowadays, you've got problems with not only alcohol, which is a standard, but with drugs and uh, disruptions in the family. That seems to be uh, a big problem up here. It probably is most everywhere. On the topic of kids, you know, while we're on that, one of the things that I, I'd like to hear from you is one, because this part of why we're doing this is we're going to be playing this for years and we're going to be putting this in front of school children and young people and we want them to hear about people who have made a difference. One, I guess I would ask, how do you see your role in positioning the next generation to do some of the things you've done? And talk to me a little bit about um, the importance to you of having your children be involved in some of the things that you have? Well, our, our, um, our daughter who lives in the area, and it looks like she's going to stay here because I think all kids sort of have the idea that they, as we did, you get to a certain period, you gotta move. And I think she feels now they build a home here. Uh, they have a lot of friends, have a lot of relatives on, on uh, Pete's side. So there's a good interplay there, and we try to teach them 
that uh, knowing how the the free enterprise system works or the capitalistic system works, it's not perfect. Some people have the ability to make more money than others, one reason or another, and I have no problem with that. The the um, the the thing is that some of that money should be shared, and I like to see it shared uh, on a private basis instead of a government basis. So I would I would fight for less regulations in this area is to try to get people to see that they can sustain their 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 area uh, by by helping out uh, areas that need some help here and there. And I think Watertown doesn't do it too bad a job at that. Too, you try and teach the kids the old adage, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which does not just mean to you personally, but to everybody <coughs> as a group. And, uh, you know, if you could envision a uh, middle school student listening to you and, and wanting to hear something from you that would inspire them to do this, what would you say it has meant to you in your life to be able to do that? Well, we've had the, the advantage of having funds that would allow us to do things that uh, a lot of people might not be able to do. And uh, because of that, we think we need to share some of that with the community. And I know that the foundation is trying to develop that idea. And I think that, I think that's a, no, a normal consequence of, of, a, of a system that I think works reasonably well. But it needs to be that uh, we'd like to see the private sector supply some help in that area. The, the school kids, school children, need to work to their potential so that as they grow up they'll be able to do what we do instead of always on the iPad or whatever you call those things which we're not involved in they need to work to their potential and not let anybody stand in their way because if they don't do it nobody's going to do it for them. To go back to something you said about the ability to, to give unto others. With the next generation too, whether it's youth or young professionals, sometimes getting over that first hurdle of making your first gift or making your first effort, whether it's volunteering or making a gift to an organization, it can be difficult. What would you say or what would, you, what would the message be to encourage the younger generation who's thinking about giving for the first time but they just can't get over that hump? What, what would you say to encourage them to make sure that they follow through with with giving back? Well, it might, one thing they might do with the organization that they want to give to is to get involved with that organization in volunteering. And then they can see what the organization is about, where their money would go, and then give. Now, I know you can't get involved with all organizations, but basically, in a sense, I think most every organization here in Watertown you can. I personally believe and we need to give to our local communities and not to give to the national organizations. Why is giving locally so important to you and Tom? Because that is our community. We live here. Everybody that lives in this community, it is their community. So we need to give back to our community. Ditto.
What have been some of the best experiences that you've had giving back to this area? And not necessarily just a financial commitment, but just your volunteerism and your time as well. What have been some of the best experiences that you remember? Oh, that's hard to say because... <laughs> well, talk a little bit about hospice because that certainly has been a keystone piece of your well, life. Well, it is, yes. When our first daughter, Wendy, was sick and died, she was in the hospital. We had a lot of people help us, so you need that support. Whereas a lot of people who have somebody die, especially children, they don't have that same support. So hospice gives them that support. I took care of our second daughter that died. She was on hospice, and hospice helped us through that, and she died at home. I also took care of my mother at home. Hospice helped us. What's it mean to, you know, be at the ground floor of creating a, an organization that has done so much since it's been started here for 30 years, the organization's evolved in a great way. What's it mean to you to be able to be the person that was kind of the catalyst for this? That that organization is able to help families get through a trying situation. Excuse me. I still cry for our daughters. I can't think of any, anything specific, but the same idea that Mabel has mentioned that uh, you get a satisfaction out of doing something that's good for other people uh, in your particular community because you can see it uh, and I'm very much interested in in doing that mostly from what the churches used to do all churches used to do that themselves and the government has taken over a lot of that uh, it might be the consequence of, of civilization, I'm not sure. But um, the idea of the individual working and helping other people, uh, somebody said, you don't get through this life by yourself. You need help from other people in the community. And I think that's true. One thing I'd like to point out is now, Tom and I get recognition for the things we do as well as other people, but I want everybody to know that no matter how much you give or how little you give, it takes every single person in this city to make this work. And if it wasn't for every single person helping to make it work, it wouldn't work. So it just, it just isn't a couple people doing it. It's the whole community working together. As far as the financing, the government had made a, a good move in providing an incentive for people uh, to give uh, money so that if they do give up to a certain point, that that is deductible uh, against their taxes. I end up giving more than I, than I can write off. But that's, that's all right. I'm comfortable with that. And I'm comfortable with working with uh, uh, an outfit, uh, the, the uh, Northern New York Community Foundation, that is promoting the, the idea of philanthropy uh, among young, younger people to start with. And how do you get them to start? Well, I guess you have to work at it. 
You have to let them know that they, we need their help to make the community work. Not only money, but time and talent. How important is that to this area's future, philanthropy as a whole? Uh, I see it, uh, you know, as a smaller group instead of a big, large group. I think it's quite important uh, that we do this. And I, I think that was, it was a really a godsend the way the community foundation here was started. It is uh, probably one of the, well, maybe the third biggest ones in the state, I think. Tom, you had, you had uh, actually worked at the Community Foundation for a little bit. Can you just talk a little bit about that? They asked me if I would take over the directorship of the foundation uh, because at the time they had somebody as a bookkeeper keeping track of the funds and so forth, and they used a lot of it for student loans. At that time, the asset value of the foundation was about $600,000 as compared to what it is now. And when I was told that there was a a person in town that was going to uh, give something over a million or or so dollars, it meant that um, now we're talking about some bigger bucks and they needed somebody to get that directed. So they asked me if I would do that and I did that for maybe three or four years, I guess I think it was. Now you've seen, and you've been involved again in so many agencies, organizations. Um, Tom, when you were the mayor of the city of Watertown, what layers, different layers of the community did you get a chance to see um, that maybe you had not seen before? Well, quite a few of them, because you get involved with uh, different layers of the community, whether you want to or not, because the phone starts to ring. Uh, when the bridge is out, people call you. What am I going to do? Uh, you know, things like that come up. And then we either try to solve them as uh, the best way we can. And somebody told me that um, there's a lot of problems within a city you can't solve. But you can listen and see what you can do uh, with that experience of just listening. And, and, and Mabel, as being sort of the other half of the mayor at that time, how did that impact you? How did, that, how did you support him and his desires for a better community as mayor? Just give us a sense for what that meant for you as he was mayor and how you dealt with that. Well, I just felt that Tom was a capable person and that the city needed a good leader, and he was it. So you were a staunch... <laughs> defender and advocate. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I had some reservations about that because I, I, I'd never thought in my dreams at all that I'd ever uh, go for a public office. And when they came to me and said, oh, we, we'd like to have you run for mayor, then I got to thinking that uh, if I'm in mayor and, that, that, and people will climb on your back and call you and tell you all kinds of names, then I'm wondering how Mabel would take that because... <laughs> I think that's they, what I was getting at. When they, when they started attacking me, they're going to be at... Mabel was going to be on the phone. And uh, so I had to weigh that out. And she seemed to... Th- and she did very well with that. But I used to tell people when I was in office, I got three f- 
Four phones, and they're all listed in the book. Now, you can call me anytime you want, but don't call me at night because the phone is on Mabel's side of the bed. <laughs> I love it. And how many calls did you get while you were... You know, it's interesting. Uh, Jim Brett was my, one of my favorite um, councilmen, said, you're going to get all kinds of calls when you get in office. Well, I said, that's all right. I, can, I, can, I think I can handle that. But uh, I think they realized that I was going to take a lot of nonsense and out of eight years, I had three calls. At one night of which, time. At night time. At night time. And, and one of them was legit. There was a, a, a young lady home from Christmas. That's what you... Yeah, I just mentioned that. And, and she was caught with no way to get home. And uh, they called the police department and said, we can't do anything because you're in Black River. That's not our jurisdiction. I, I called the the police and I said, you know about this young lady and she can't get home because her mother is sick and her, her father is in the hospital. So, and that was something like one or two o'clock in the morning. I said, get a taxi, go out and get her and bring her home and send me the bill. That was it. I didn't hear from him again. Will you always feel as though... Um Mayor and Tom Walker, those words will always be used together. Um, I know when you're out and I mean, people still see you as the mayor. Yeah, I, uh, that seems to work like that. I know when, uh, after a couple of years after I'd got, not been out of office, uh, we would go up to the um, music up in the park. And Mabel would say to me, well, you, you don't have any special privilege now. You're going to have to find a parking place on your own. And I said, yeah, that's probably all right. So when I drove in, the policeman said, hiya, Mayor, I got a spot right over here for you. So I can't escape that particularly. And I get that not only from around here, but every once in a while, that'll crop up when I'm up in the North Country. How has the area changed for the better in the six years you've lived here, more than six years you've lived here, what are some of the most uh, positive things or things that you see about the North Country today that make you proud that you raised your family here? Well, that's hard to answer because the main thing is we stayed here to raise our family. So we felt it was a good community and always has been a good community. Now, the one thing that I am concerned about today is the children and the drugs. And we are not unique to that situation. So it isn't something that we either haven't done or did do. I mean, as a community. And this is the one thing that really concerns both Tom and I is the drug issue. Other than that, this community has been fine. We wouldn't have stayed. <laughs> but, and on that respect, what, what gives you the most hope for our, for our future? I know there's a lot of negative out there. What gives you the most hope for our future? Uh, I guess staying positive as possible and trying in whatever way you have of trying to make it that way. Uh, you get a little frustrated when you see some of the things that are going on uh, in our national scene and even in our local scene. 
that you really don't have a whole lot of control about. But as I say, you do your thing, you do what you think is right and stay with it. And we hope that other people will, will take that same position. I think the best thing that could happen is for the whole electrical system to go down. This would eliminate these kids doing all of these things. It would keep them off of all of this stuff. They would have to knuckle under. They'd have to learn to read and write and communicate with their mouth, <laughs> so to speak. It would eliminate all of this kind of stuff, whereas kids are seem to be stuck with these iPads or iPhones or whatever heck you call them. You can tell that we're not in tune to this stuff. But these kids need to get rid of that stuff and learn to communicate and work with each other either separately or in a, and in a group. And if, as long as we have all of these things, they're not gonna learn to do that. You know, I look back uh, on our life and, and, and life of our family, is that you, you, you live in a certain area and do certain things. And then when you get older, you see that the new generation is doing things differently. And you're sort of out of the loop. And we see that too. But uh, life will go on. And uh, uh, we're not the Twitter, Twitter uh, uh, kind of uh, <laughs> philosophy. But, but I remember when, when I was a kid, we didn't have radio. We didn't have television we went out and made our own fun. I don't mean getting into trouble, but we were f finding out how to live out in the, in the woods and do some fishing and maybe hunting. I'm not a hunter, but I can, I can see those things that are more positive than trying to hack into a system or some of these other things that are going on now. Uh, and it, we're, just, we're just sort of out of the loop. And I think that's normal. For old people. <laughs> you know, yeah, I want to just. Uh, this is this is not on script, but I want to. I want to just, and you can answer it or not. But I really. More directly, how? Do you, what does it mean to you to know that, for instance, Lori, who's here in this community, Lori. Yeah. What does it mean to you to know that now she is becoming more engaged and has begun her own journey of philanthropy and becoming involved. What does that mean to you personally? I mean, it's got to be important to you. It's got to feel good because part of that came from you. Well, following in our footsteps, basically, and not letting the outside world influence her that much. So you would say that you're very happy that it's developed this way? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and she does it well, I think. And, and does it give you some comfort to know that she will be part of perpetuating your legacy as well? Very much so. Very much so. We, we like the community here, and we think it's got a good potential. And we're glad to see that they've made their decision to be in the area after we're Well, Pete on. and Lori work very well together so that they complement each other. Sort of like you doing. two, yes. yeah. I had this one's just for you, Mabel. <laughs> and again, you can answer it or not, but 
if you were to answer the question, what do you feel is the, the, the biggest misconception about Mabel Walker? Well, <laughs> I used to say to people, I'm a real bitch. I worked hard to get that title, and believe me, I worked just as hard to keep it. So, but what's what? So, I think most people recognize that. Most people <laughs> so, what would you that. say? What would you say that maybe people don't know about you that you'd like them to know about you? Well, well, they know they know her through pretty much through hospice, and they uh, uh, a lot of people would call her for minor information on medical problems, and they used to, used to say, "Be careful, because now you're treading on." A medical uh, well, precedent. Too, when our children were growing up, we had kids from all over in the neighborhood, and different. Uh, the kids would say to me, "Do you remember? I lived with you for over a month. I don't remember that." And a, a gal said to me the other day, "Do you remember you gave me a surprise birthday party?" I don't remember doing that. It was just the fact that we had kids around all the time because we felt that this was the way it should be as a family. So, you know, there were just kids around all the time and we treated those kids like we treated our own kids. Well, and, and, and this is more of a comment than a question, but I've always felt that while um, you might call it bitch, I call it, you care enough about this community to speak your voice. And there's a lot of people who don't do that and let things just pass. So, you know, I'm just saying that maybe on your behalf, but I've always felt like um, the reason that she's maybe perceived that way is because she genuinely cares. Well, I do care about the community. There again, we've been here all this while. If we didn't care about the community, we would have been long gone. And you probably wouldn't be as vocal if you didn't care, right? <laughs> right. Exactly, I wouldn't be as vocal. I was out with a, a fellow here that's a native in the area. And, and, and I, he said, well, how long have you been here? Well, I said, I've been here over 60 years. He said, you've been here longer than I've been alive. So uh, being out of the area is not a big, problem for it. We like to use that as a crutch in a way, but uh, we're probably part of the community. I think we've had a good life up here. I don't know whether I'd want to be anywhere else than in the North Country. I like the uniqueness of it. The, the Adirondack Park and the, the, um, the openness of the area. They say, well, we're a little bit slow. Well, that's all right. Where the hell are we going? You know, everybody's got to have to have this and have to have that. I learned to deal with what I have available. Uh, as my, my brother-in-law uh, loves to get new equipment all the time, new computers and so forth. I'm satisfied with the dial phone because I know the damn thing works. <laughs> well, back to about my speaking up, I do speak up when I see something wrong. I speak up, I don't hold back. And even today, a lot of people when they see me, instead of saying hello, they'll say, well, what kind of trouble are you in today? <laughs> well, I was just gonna say, I think it's fair to say that the community has evolved the way it has because of your voices. 
and in a very positive way. I mean, the way the community has changed is because of some of the advocacy and things that you believe in. When you reflect back and think about the time you've spent here in your life as a whole, how do you want the community to remember Tom and Mabel Walker? Well, I'd say you ought to ask the people that are here. We don't know that. We're doing our thing as we see and the way we've been brought up to make a good community. And uh, um, if we're known, we're known because people will follow maybe our example. I have a couple of questions that are really more community foundation centric, but also, I'll, and I guess I'll start with a more broad question. You know, you, you, get, you give to so many things, geographically and types and, but when you make a decision either individually or as a couple, what are the primary factors that influence that decision and then what do you expect in return for your support of a project or an organization? Well, Tom, we expect to give to many, many things. Instead of giving one lump sum to one big project, we feel that all of these organizations need help. And if we help these organizations, then we feel that other people will follow suit and help them also. I was an executive for a foundation out of Pittsburgh. And we're a small foundation, it was a family foundation. And we did the very same thing that we're doing now, is to try to, uh, try to help the small groups that, that need a little help here and there. Is that you buy the dinner, I'll buy the cigarettes. And uh, we've done that with a number of outfits uh, in and about Pittsburgh. We've worked with Mellon, Scafe Foundation. They, they buy the dinners, we buy the chocolate chips, you know, things like that. Sure. And they said, that's very helpful because they'll do the one thing, but they don't, they don't do the follow-up on the little things. And that's what, I guess that's what I'm coming from, is, is uh, and I don't have that kind of money to do that either, is that we like to help where we can uh, in our local community. And, and when you give, other than the satisfaction of giving, what do you expect from the organizations you give to? What do you expect from them? If they don't do this, it might influence your future decisions. Well, I guess I have in mind that I don't like to pay taxes. I like the incentive of, of, uh, of giving, for one thing. And I'm not sure, when we were talking with Heritage Foundation, when they came up with the idea of the, of the flat tax, and it sounded like a good idea, but he said, nobody wants to take it. They're not running with it. And it seems to me that that spreads your, your flat tax over the person with a lot of money as opposed to the person that has little money. Everybody has a skin in the, in the, in the operation. I think that's, that's the way it goes. Now, I think they're getting closer to that idea is that the fellow that makes a lot of money, uh, they, either, they either use it for themselves and, and keep it, or they may start businesses or help businesses uh, as an investor to get started. And I think that's, that's a good incentive uh, to use your money wisely. In regards to, obviously you've been loyal supporters of our organization, 
what would you like to see happen? I mean, in the time that Max and I are there over the next two decades, what would you dream for the Community Foundation to accomplish? That's hard to answer because you're working very hard at it now and accomplishing a lot of things. Keep doing what you're doing. But what's, what stands out in that respect? What do you like best about what we're doing? I think everything. The idea is that, that you, you, we have the advantage of having a large pot of money to be able to help the community. The best thing that I can see that you've instituted within your group now is going into the school system and having the young people do what you're doing on a smaller scale. And this is teaching these young people the idea of philanthropy and how it works. Letting these kids know, these young people know how things work is very important because there again, all they're doing is this stuff on these iPads. So this, I think, is a good teaching tool for these children. I, I have one and one more and then I'm gonna let Max finish. <laughs> but uh, so we talked a lot about, I mean, we covered a lot and then maybe this is repetitive, but I think I'd like to bring it down to three things. So if I said to Mabel Walker and Tom Walker, and I'm gonna ask both of you, I'm gonna start with Mabel, complete this sentence for me. Mabel Walker is, three things, Mabel Walker is, well, that's hard to say. Well, <laughs> I hope shot. I'm a give good a wife, mm -hmm. I'm a good mother, and a good community person. I would, I would second that motion. Except you're a good father. <laughs> <laughs> and a good husband. That's great. Thank you. I'm going to follow with, with another question that either of you can answer, but it's similar to what Randy just asked. Philanthropy is fill in the blank. Helping many people. Yep. In a few words, helping many people. How would you finish that sentence, Tom? I said, if I were in trouble, financially or otherwise, physically, Jefferson County would be the place to go. We've got, we've got all kinds of facilities here. And I know the, the United Way is trying to uh, make that much more profitable you know, it's, might say, by combining some of those inventions. Uh, uh, and I think your, your point is when you buy, bought the, the old Black River Valley Club and making part of that available for nonprofits was a good, good idea. One of the things that I was in years ago, we had somebody that was going to give a building and we were looking at ways in which we could put that into lower rental for the ch for the charities and it just didn't go i think you're going to be the ones that are going to have to make that go but you're not going to have that many around but the com combination of doing that i think um, helps the, the the charities survive uh when when we bought into the key bank uh hsbc the idea was is to provide lower rentals for some of the uh, ones that came in there. But being a business, that was hard to sustain. 
So you needed, you needed more of the professional people moving in, and that has worked both very, very well. And, and part of what we'll, we'll be doing beyond that will be sharing of staff and resources and copiers and technology and, and not just space. And I think that's, you know, to your point, is, is something that we're positioned to do that maybe isn't as easy to do in the private sector. Yeah. So. Like, That's good. I think it's uh, safe to say that the Walker last name and philanthropy are tied together, probably in the annals of North Country history in a lot of ways, as folks reflect on what you've done here. This was a really special interview, and we appreciate you sharing your story and your thoughts on what the community has meant to you and what you've given to this community and doing so on this platform. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you very much. I thought that was normal. <laughs> We hope it's normal for the next generation, too. Yeah, right. Once again, thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this story inspires you to do more in your community. And until next time, please join us again on the Northern New York Community Podcast. Northern New York Community Podcast. Stories from the heart of our community.